Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. So you might as well listen to the Screen Pass podcast. Welcome to Screen Pass, the show about American football in popular culture. I'm Sheen, and with me as always is a man who loves books so much he named his children Dewey, Decimal, and System. Justin Barber, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, Sheehan. How are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm really excited for this episode. Now, I mentioned the Dewey Decimal System off the top. Do you know what the Dewey Decimal System number for American football is? I don't. No, it's 796.332. Oof. I found that to be... Uh, Pretty interesting in the way that they work it out. The second of the threes refers to ball games that involve an inflated ball propelled by foot is the official classification of which soccer, rugby, Australian rules football, American football are included. Interesting. Yeah, we always get crap from non-American people that football doesn't really involve the foot at all over here in American football. Only a very few times. They should call it hand egg. (laughs) And uh, any idea who that quote from the top of the show is from? Nope. It's uh, Groucho Marx. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like once upon a time you used to get a lot of pop with Groucho, like you'd see the Groucho Marx disguises and stuff. Not so much anymore. No, that's true. A lot from that kind of era as well. Three Stooges you don't see much of. There used to be a lot of jokes about them. Mm. Yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> knock, 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 knock. Guess they just <laughs> kind of went by the wayside. Yeah, well, they tried that reboot film a couple of years ago and went predictably poorly. So uh, perhaps they realized that the world is, is done with the Stooges and perhaps Iggy as well. Yeah, probably. Sad, but true. Slapstick has no place in modern culture, I suppose. That's correct. Slapping, totally inappropriate. So you might have surmised, based upon the clues we've left so far, based upon the title of this episode, and if you've read the show notes, that tonight we are talking about books. So we'll start off with, what are you reading at the moment, mate? You're a big book guy? I am. I am. I read pretty much every day. I would say it's safe to say every day. I prefer reading to most movies. Um, I really enjoy a good book. I feel like when you read a book, I guess it's because your mind's working and you're creating the environment. I feel it's way more productive than a movie. I feel like movies are just kind of on autopilot. Not to say that there isn't amazing movies and that I enjoy movies, but I'm constantly reading. Nothing to me is like a good book. I just finished The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Mm. Very good book. Very good book. It's a post-apocalyptic journey between a father and his son. It's written really interesting. There's no chapters. It's just paragraphs blocked off into sections. And you really kind of come in the middle of a story, too. There isn't really a start and there isn't really an end. And they just piece together those things as it goes on. But Cormac McCarthy's a really good author. There is some challenges I kind of found with him. Sometimes I feel like he'll describe something and then go a different direction. I have to re-piece it in my head. He also doesn't use quotes anywhere. So sometimes (laughs) the back and forth gets a little bit confusing, but he's obviously one of the top authors. So after I read that, I picked up All the Pretty Horses by him, which is more of a classic cowboy story. And I love a good cowboy story. Love a good Western I'm in the mix with that right now. Are you reading anything? I remember, I I am, I'll come to that. I remember seeing All the Pretty Horses as a movie 
and I went with my dad and my cousins and my dad got up to the ticket counter and asked for tickets to save the last horse from dancing, (laughs) (laughs) having got mixed up with save the last dance, which was out at the same time. (laughs) That's funny. Cormac McCarthy, I always assumed, was Irish, given his name. Uh, I assume he's just Irish-American. But I tell you what, those Irish, they play fast and loose with the uh, grammatical rules. Like James Joyce as well, no paragraphs, no uh, grammar, anything like that. That's a tough read if you've tried reading Ulysses. No, at the moment, I'm reading... It's almost, if you looked at the intersection of a Venn diagram of literary things I love, on one half you have my absolute favourite literary character, Zorro, and one of my all-time favourite authors, Isabel Allende, and I'm reading Isabel Allende's Zorro at the moment. I got through quite a lot of it on the beach in Greece last week, which was lovely. Haven't touched it since I've come back, but uh, looking forward to delving back into the world of Zorro and Bernardo and all those exciting characters. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. But um, I used to be a massive reader. I'm not anymore. In fact, I've written more books in the past couple of years than I've read. So I really want to get back into it. No, this is a good start. I forget how much I enjoy reading when I'm not doing it. Yeah, it's a good activity. And like I said, it just, I never have read a book and been like, that was wasted time. I always feel good after I read. Actually, I know that is a lie. Oh. Because <laughs> there is a book that we have both read, which may one day end up on this show. And I think you would say that at this stage, it's been wasted time. That's true. Yeah, we put together a podcast. It has not been released yet. It's kind of on the back burner of a book that, spoiler alert, it wasn't very good. And I thought it was okay. (laughs) Well, it wasn't good, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) I am putting together a list of all the books I've read over the last year. I'll post that online on my Twitter account. And if you need any suggestions or anything, feel free to drop by, ask questions about it. I've had some really good books that I've read over the last year. I mentioned some of this in the podcast that might never air, but I read A Boy's Life by Robert McCammon and really blown out of the water by it. It was, I didn't expect it. So that's always a good thing, but it's really a coming of age tale and it has everything in it. It's murder mystery and fantasy elements, like a bit of horror, real life, emotional situations. They address racism, bullying, but it's really just about growing up as a child and how the world changes around you. It's not just for males. It's called boys life, but the lady read it and she She read it faster than I did. She loves it too. That's a book I would definitely recommend that's not out there. And the Red Rising series is really good by Pierce Brown. If you haven't read that, that's a like more of a sci-fi futuristic book. It's got like that sci-fi vibe to it, but it's kind of like Hunger Games meets Lord of the Flies meets 1984 meets Game of Thrones. Pierce Brown was really good at doing suspense and cliffhanger, so it was very hard to stop reading each chapter. So I really just blazed through all of those. So if you like any of those books I I mentioned in that, that's a really good series to start. Excellent. I think they're uh, great recommendations. Definitely check out your Twitter if you're interested. Now, I say I don't read a lot of books. I read comics every night before bed i love reading them on kindle because it tells me where to go i get lost if i'm looking on a page i love the guided view of a comic book but one of my favorite comics and one of my least favorite comic book movies is league of extraordinary gentlemen have you uh, have you read it or seen the film i have not read the comic but i did see the film some time ago bit of a mess but it's such a fun concept for those of you who aren't familiar haven't seen it it's like the avengers but of victorian literature and classic literary characters and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Alan Moore, 
I consider to be probably the greatest writer of any medium uh, of his age. Created not only the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, wrote a lot of Swamp Thing, Constantine, and of course Watchmen. V for Vendetta, From Hell, prolific. And like a weird old wizard man who lives in a cave. But you can do a writing course with him online at the moment, which is exciting. And I think I might get into that. But that sort of be that as it may. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen starts off in the early part of the 20th century and carries through to modern day. And in the end, spoiler alert, you have the Antichrist, who is Harry Potter, being defeated by Mary Poppins. Now, Alan Moore's pop culture knowledge runs out at a certain point, and he's sort of just kind of throwing mud at the wall to see what sticks. But it's it's a lot of fun, and it's uh, absolutely chaotic. But this isn't the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. This is the National Football League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's right, we've picked... Football teams with our favourite literary characters. Now, the exciting part, let's get to that, the rules. Oh. To qualify for our teams, the character must have first been published before 1972, so nothing in the last 50 years. No Daic figures, so no God, no Muhammad, no Zeus, anything like that. No characters who started off in comic books or comic strips, so no one, uh, obviously none of the Marvel and DC characters, but, you know, no Phantom, no Asterix, no Garfield, no Flash Gordon. And we said there needed to be an element of recognition to the character or the book series. We didn't want rando Calrissians showing up. I'm going to throw a little twist on there. I did something a little bit extra. I built my offense as all heroes and my defense as all villains. Ah, I like it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I gave myself that challenge because it did actually become a challenge, but it was fun. Yeah, it was fun being able to... uh, kind of delve back into things that I read at school, characters I half remembered, learnt more about sort of names you recognise but maybe don't know too much about their, their books. So there's a couple of mine that definitely I knew from movies and had to delve into their characters in books, which was fun. We sort of talked about this off pod and you, you wanted to, to guess how many of ours would be the same and did you want to have a guess at maybe who some of mine are? I won't say, I won't say yes or no to any of them. But how about okay. you throw out throw out a couple of names? It's going to be a bit of a spoiler alert, but I think you have three. Zorro, because you mentioned to me that you were reading it. So I think you're going to squeeze him in there. And you just mentioned that he's your favorite. So he's definitely going to be in there in my guessing. Definitely my guessing. Then Count Dracula and Frankenstein's monster. Those are the three I'm guessing are in your teams. So all, all three are in there? Yeah. Dracula came up in our our pre-pod discussion, if you like, of when we were setting right. up the rules of, you know, Dracula, Dracula was okay. Sort of Amdonado. We'll get, we'll get to that. And of course the, the creature as well. Um, I thought it was going to be a lock for both of us. Yep. I'm going to say that between, between us, we're going to have five characters that are the same. And I'm going to guess that within yours, you're going to have Edward Hyde. You're going to have, I'm going to say someone from Lord of the Rings. I'm going to say Aragon from Lord of the Rings and mm, ooh, John Carter of Mars. Mm. You have, how many did you guess there? I guess three. You got one wrong. Yeah. The other two are in there and one is not in there. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose, well, I'm saying we're going to have five the same. You've guessed that we're going to have how many the same? Oof. I'm going to go with six. Nice. I'm going to, I'm going to price is right you. I like it. Five and one dollar. <laughs> well, without any further ado, tell us who your quarterback is. Let's get this started. So I also think it will be good to, we are an all-inclusive show. 
So what we'll do is at each position, we'll identify the position, then I'll just do a quick rundown of what they do. So if you're a literary fan, you can jump into this podcast and know what's going on. And to be honest, even football fans sometimes don't know what a defensive end does or something along those lines. The quarterback, he leads the offense. He is the passer. He relays plays to the team and he throws the ball or hands it off. He can change plays on the fly. And he's argumentatively the most important position on the team. Most important position in pro sports. Yeah. A team that has a good quarterback and low-level talent elsewhere can succeed often. If they have a good team and a bad quarterback, a lot of times they can't. It is a high-level position. I went with Edmund Dantes, otherwise known as the Count of Monte Cristo. You're not going to believe this. I knew he would be in yours and I couldn't remember the bastard's name because I remember one of our very first (laughs) conversations, not about football, was about the Count of Monte Cristo. I know you love the book, so it's not a surprise that he's there. Yep, I love it. It's by Alexander Dumas. It was written in 1846. It is one of my favorite books of all time. The book takes place during the Bourbon Restoration. So this was the beginning of Napoleon's 100-day exile on Elba Island. History buffs will know, or I don't know, just a lot of people probably know, Napoleon was in power, and then he was exiled when he was overthrown for 100 days, and then he came back into power. It's a really interesting time frame because you have people that are supporters of Napoleon, and then people that are supporters, like, uh, royalists. They, they want the king back in place. The time period's really cool. It can be a, well, let me get into it. It's a man wrongly accused in prison, and then it's his journey for really just revenge. It's a good book. It's very big. It was written in 1846. They didn't have movies and TV, couldn't listen to music or TikTok on your phone. So um, a lot of the books back then were really, really big. But I always like to be able to sit with a book. You know, I, I don't mind that. I like taking time with a book and just that's... You know, that's my experience. I'm hanging out with this thing for like a month. If you're not used to translated text, it can be a little bit difficult. The beginning of the book takes a lot of time character building. And there's a lot of references that are French that might not translate to English. So it does take time. But I promise you, if you stick with the book until Dante's imprisonment, it's so worth it. It was so good after that. I couldn't put it down. So highly recommend that book. It's it's great. It's a classic. The character himself, why I picked him as a quarterback, is he's extremely intelligent, very well educated. He's a master strategist, and he's physically fit and trained in the art of combat. So he'll be good at play calling, reading a defense. He's fast, and he'd make a good face of the franchise. I like it. I really like it. I feel like the Count of Monte Cristo is such a well-known figure but perhaps not understood by a lot of people or or really know what it's about. It's sort of a a looming figure. So for me at quarterback, as you say, most important position, I wanted a leader, someone who could bring people together to inspire. And my immediate thought was King Arthur. But I thought, well, hell, we're talking American football. We kind of a a filthy, well, not even English, Anglo-Saxon leader under center. So I went with back across the Atlantic to, you might know him as Nathaniel Poe, his name changed for the film version because Natty Bumpo, as he is in the books, is a bit of a stupid fucking name. But we're talking about Natty Bump- <laughs> Nathaniel Natty Bumpo from the Leatherstocking Tales. 
of which The Last of the Mohicans is one of. Now, known as Hawkeye, raised, a, a white man raised in a Native American tribe, skilled in the sort of the, those kind of quintessential Native American arts of the time, you know, tracking these sorts of things, brave, a leader, comfortable under pressure, brilliant over long range in The Last of the Mohicans. The French nickname him The Long Rifle. And I think that's the attributes you want. You know, we've had the Amish rifle in Ryan Fitzpatrick. We've had the red rifle in Andy Dalton. So for me, it was Nathaniel Natty Bumpo is my quarterback and leader to pull together my extraordinary gentleman. I like it. I didn't have him included in mine. Just a little spoiler. And I think it's a good pick, especially with the accuracy factor. Yep. I figure, you know, he's, he's violent in short, uses the tomahawk. He's, you know, clearly got an arm on him, but then the long range as well. Right, so next up is the running back. What do they do? This is more self-explanatory. It's the guy who runs the ball. He starts in the backfield and we either have the ball handed off to him. Sometimes there's a short pass to him. And also he can block, giving the QB more time to throw. This is one of my favorite positions in football. Yep, that makes sense, given your uh, favorite team, the Ravens, have a running back playing quarterback. In the modern sense, I suppose the running back is has moved from the, the old school fullback like Jim Brown and kind of the halfbacks. You now talk about the, the running back is your halfback. I don't have a fullback on my team in the, the modern sense, uh, the blocker, but uh, who have you got as a running back? So I went with Paul Trades from Dune. There is another name I figured you might have. Yeah. Dune, as Sheehan already knows, is another one of my favorite books. And I promise you, I'm not going to do this for every book that I go through. (laughs) I'm a big sci-fi fan. Dune was written by Frank Herbert in 1965. It's, in my opinion, the best sci-fi book out there. There are a ton of Star Wars parallels to this book. And the argument is that Star Wars took a lot of, I'm going to use quotes, you can't see them, influences from Dune. (laughs) Um, But Dune was written well before Star Wars. Dune came out with a movie in 1984, which was complete trash. The script was written in the early 70s. The new movie I like, though, the new movie of Dune as a fan of the book. The book itself is a futuristic story about noble houses and a feudalistic society. And then there's the young man, Paul Atreides, who is kind of a a prince that not really a prince, just like heir to a leader and his family gets betrayed and he ends up on this desert similar to Tatooine, if you will. <laughs> and he ends up on this, <laughs> this great, I love star Wars by the way. So <laughs> I can say this, that star Wars stole a bunch of stuff from Dune, but uh, he ends up following this great past of destiny and prophecy. If you're a sci-fi fan, read it. If you feel that it is stealing things from other sci-fi that you've read, it's absolutely not. They all stole from it. It is, it's an excellent series of books, but now you can buy the full package of all the stories in one. The character himself, the main character, Paul Trades, is he's shorter because he's young. He's very quick. He's trained in combat. He's extremely agile. And a little spoiler alert to the book, he can see the immediate future. He could see open lanes, he can avoid tackles. He also has a power that's the form of mind control, kind of. It's called the voice, and it helps manipulate people who hear it, not unlike the force. (laughs) 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 But that could be good too. If someone's running at him and he can yell loud enough or get in their ear, he can potentially stop them or have them run in the opposite direction. I love the character as my running 
I love it. That's a, a really good pick. And of course, a name that definitely has more recognition now. He's played by old uh, Timmy Chalamet as well. He's on a lot of people's radars. Have you seen the new movie? I have not. I had all the intentions to see it, but I just haven't. I think I'll wait until the next one comes out and then I'll just sort of see them in quick succession. That's not a bad plan. So for mine, I thought about the modern game and in fact, the the current NFL. And who for you is the best running back? That's tough. Who do I like the best or who's the best running back? Hmm. I don't know. Who's who's your favorite running back? I could list off like five of them. I feel like the most devastating runner we have seen for a long time is Derek Henry. Yeah, that's fair. Big, fast, violent. He's Adrian Peterson, Marshawn Lynch. He is a man mountain. And that's the kind of frame that I wanted carrying the ball. Someone to run it up the middle, to punch it in. Someone you don't necessarily want to tackle. And I went with, you might know him as Asterion, if you're a, a real junkie. Most people know it as the Minotaur from Greek mythology, from Ovid's poems. Famously lived in the middle of the labyrinth. One of these great Greek mythological creatures where it's, you know, you've got a god who's transformed himself in some sort of animal and then another animal's had a go at him and you end up with this this huge man with the head of a bull built like a brick shithouse. As I say, violent uh, from, I guess, the tale of Daedalus and Icarus. Slain eventually by Theseus, who goes on to found Athens. I really liked this one. Definitely a villain on the uh, positive side of the ball. I think you put the ball in his hands and, you know what, tackle him at your own risk. Well, that is one that we have in common. I couldn't put him on the offense, but you'll hear from him later on my defensive roster. He's a great pick. I felt a little bit hesitant because he borders on that line of God in mythology, but he's not. So all's fair in the game. Good pick. Yep. I originally had him on defense as well, and I thought, no, this is, I mean, it's a case of, do you put him in on short yardage work, whatever? No, I want my big Derrick Henry thumper to take the, take the load here, as you will. Now tell us about wide receivers. So the wide receiver, these are the guys that catch the ball from the QB. Pretty straightforward. Their goal is to get past defensive coverage, catch the ball, and get as much yards as possible. Plenty of different types of wide receiver. You have fast guys, technique guys, guys who can kind of box out their opposition with their strength. Fundamental, though, is you've got to be able to catch the ball. You need good hands. You need hands to be able to do that, and you need to be able to get open one way or another. Who are your receivers here? Give us both. I actually am going to give you three, the Three Musketeers. Interesting. Yeah, it's another book by Alexander Dumas, written in 1844. If you've heard of any of his books, you've heard of Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers. Yep. So this is Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and then additionally as like a little flyer on the depth chart, you have Artangen. So if you've read the book, there's really four musketeers in it. There's four main characters that team up, but these guys are physical and athletic. They're very good at combat, which will make them good for contested catches against the defense. We know that they work well together. They're the three musketeers. So additionally, they probably would be good working well together with running routes. And they have the Count of Monte Cristo as their QB. So it's written by the same author, Dumas. They'll work well together with Edmond Nantes. I like it. A good depth of knowledge there. I've got, a, I've got a similar one coming up on the defensive side in terms of a duo by the same author. I will say I've got Porthos on my uh, my team. A- Aramis and Athos is it? Yeah, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, isn't it? Correct. Yep. And, and D'Artagnan didn't make the cut, but Porthos did. We'll come to him in a little bit. Now, 
I went for two receivers and I have, um, I'll give you my offensive flex as well after this. Gotcha. My first receiver is Don Diego de la Vega, a.k.a. Zorro. From The Curse of Capistrano by Johnston McCulley. If you don't know anything about Zorro, think of Batman because Batman is a ripoff of Zorro in the same way that Star Wars is a ripoff of Dune. And often in Batman, you will see that Batman and his family, or Bruce Wayne and his family, if you like, have been to see The Mask of Zorro or The Mark of Zorro at the cinema. And they're coming out of the cinema when Joe Chill shows up and that's all she wrote sports fans for uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. It's the same idea in that you have the rich billionaire playboy fighting injustice under the cover of night. Don Diego de la Vega is a bit more... This, this is one of the things that you've heard me rant about multiple times, is the idea of Bruce Wayne should be the mask and Batman is, is the real man. And that's kind of how it is with Zorro. Don Diego plays this sort of foppish, upper-class caballero in... Uh, you know, we're talking about Spanish California here. Uh, Pueblo de los Angeles. Uh, all along El Camino Real, like these sorts of things where you've got, there's a very, there's a class system. There's still, they're sort of working out the West, if you like, the American West. So he plays at this kind of guy who gets exhausted by the California heat. All he wants to do is go back to Barcelona and doesn't like horse riding, doesn't like violence, but really, obviously he's Zorro. So I love that he's got the, the fantastic footwork from his fencing ability. He's the master of luring his attackers in with a false sense of security. I like that, being able to sell his defender one way and then go the other. Plus, his trademark Z that he sort of slices into people, very diva receiver for me. <laughs> this is like um, the uh, the icky shuffle or something as his trademark. And of course, he's not wanting for courage either, happy to throw himself into the fire and, and draw that away. So I really had to get him in somewhere. I don't think it is an excellent fit for him anywhere in a team, but I think at wide receiver, he'll give you a little bit. And at the other receiver, uh, from a book that I read when I was a kid, I wouldn't say it made an impression on me or changed my life, but it certainly elements of it really stuck with me. And from Moby Dick by Herman Melville, I have Quique, a Polynesian warrior slash cannibal, which is enough to strike heart in the fear of anyone he comes up against. Physically strong. He's a harpooner on one of the boats, Starbucks boat. Can use him for trick plays because he's got that big arm. And just intimidating. He's another one I really wanted to get in. I didn't have anywhere for him, but I think he'll be a nice Michael Thomas type, big box out receiver on one side. You've got Don Diego de la Vega, a bit more of a technician on the other side, a nice one-two punch. I like it. I like it, especially like how you mentioned the Batman reference, because Batman is absolutely a, a ripoff of Zorro. I mean, in, the, in a sense, you know, and the creators are very aware yeah. of it. Like you said, right up front, they're like, we're going to see the Mask of Zorro. So they kind of M&M you, they eight mile you, where they just kind of tell you what they're doing right up front. And so you can't really make fun yep. of them. And then my offensive flex I see is kind of a Debo Samuel type role. The hybrid can play out wide, running back, get the ball in his hands, a playmaker. And this is, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this character, Hugo Danner from Gladiator by Philip Wiley. Now, we've talked about Don Diego de la Vega and Zorro being the inspiration for Batman. Hugo Dan is the inspiration for Superman. Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman, were big fans of Philip Wiley. One of the two great Philips, if you like, of sci-fi writing. We've got Philip K. Dick and Philip Wiley, uh, a lot of years apart. So Hugo Danner, the literary inspiration for Superman, has incredible powers. Like, he has Superman's powers due to his father injecting super serum into his mother's womb. She's not a massive fan of that when she finds out, but <laughs> Hugo Danner, this is, <laughs> he gets a bit of a ride because he, in the, in his story, this story, Gladiator, 
he's a football star in the days when college football is the biggest show in town. Plays for Webster University. However, he has to stop playing because he kills a rival player. Oof. Uh, but absolutely... Yeah, it's, that's a faux pas. Comes onto the team, uh, clearly the best player by a mile. Finds out that his best mate at uni, who like shows him around as the quarterback, is like, nah, you keep being the quarterback, I'll just be another player. But obviously outstanding because you know what? He's Superman. So for me, want to get the ball in his hands. He's the uh, the linchpin of my offense. I'll bet he is. Book's not that great. Yeah, I don't know of this character. I would like to check him out, though. I got this as like a, a free on a mobile phone. They gave you a bunch of free ebooks. And this was one of them that I read because I was like, I was somewhere where I didn't have reception, started reading it. And I was like, this is not that interesting. You know what? In the, this is one of these things where Wiley didn't know what to do with him. Because, like, what do you do when you have someone for whom nothing is a problem? And the writers of comic books have this issue with Superman and all the other kind of overpowered heroes of how do you make it interesting? That's why there's no good Superman films as well. So, you know, maybe they could have learned the lesson of that very early on. Right. And I don't care for Superman as a character just because of that reason. Yep. I like flawed characters or people that have to struggle with something, whereas him, it's when he complains, it just seems like whining to me. So too much of a Boy Scout, too. That's, that's what they call him, the big blue Boy Scout. There is a very fun Superman-Batman crossover comic from recent years. There's an arc where Batman and Catwoman are dating, and Superman and Lois Lane show up at the same place that Batman and Catwoman are trying to fight a crime. The comic starts with them like both going to this place, and then they're like, well, we're here. Let's go to the fairground together, because uh, Lois wants to meet uh, Selina Kyle, Catwoman. The whole time, Batman and Superman are saying... I'm not going to tell him he's not my friend. They're having this big back and forth. They go to the carnival together and it's superhero night. And Bruce Wayne ends up dressing as Superman and Clark Kent dresses as Batman. And the whole time uh, Lois and, and Selena are going back and forth. All uh, Bruce and Clark are doing arguing over whether Bruce could hit a fastball from Clark Kent for a home run. <laughs> and and it is, a, it's a very fun comic of like this double date where they clearly, they're clearly really good mates, but they don't want to admit it. It's it's fun. Check it out. I wish I'd give you more information right. but off the top of my head. It sort of escapes me. So there are skill. Oh, hang on. I've missed one skill position here. Certainly have. Tell us about, uh, tell us about tight ends, the position, not your uh, subscription service. Oh my goodness. Hacked into my computer again. <laughs> So the tight end, we're going to get into the offensive linemen, but just think about this ahead of time. The tight ends are usually smaller than an offensive lineman, but they are bigger than the rest of the team. So they're going to be typically bigger than your wide receivers, running backs, those sort of guys. They are blockers that also catch the ball. They need to know block plays and they need to know running routes. They line up at the end of the lineman, thus the name tight end. Yep. So we're talking guys who are, you're not going to find too many that are smaller than six foot two. These are your, your muscle-bound athletes. They're generally the best athlete on the team, I think is is probably fair to say. Best all-round athlete, size-speed combination, where, as you say, blockers, receivers, need to do a bit of everything. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Although these days, it's sort of decent receivers with a passing acquaintance with blocking. Anyway, who's your tight end? Just a caveat on that. That's a lot of playbook to learn. You have to learn all the plays of blocking and all the catch plays on there. It's, it's a lot. And a lot of times it takes a tight end a few years to get good. Not a lot of them come out of the gate as superstars. Yep. My tight end is Wesley 
also known as the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> I love it. Yep. Princess Bride by William Goldman in 1973. I did cheat with this one. I'll openly admit that it's a year past our cutoff, but I felt that this had such connective tissue to some of our past podcasts. You might not know the book, The Princess Bride, but a lot of you probably know the 1987 Rob Reiner film, Mm -hmm. who stars Fred Savage as the grandkid who grew up and directed our Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode we just reviewed in the last podcast. Love it. So we have our seven degrees of separation right there. If you don't know the story, it's a comedy, fantasy, romance, fairy tale. Both the book and the movie are excellent. I recommend them both. The main character, Wesley, I mean, if I'm being honest, he's kind of the Count of Monte Cristo, really. <laughs> I mean, very similar type character. Now, in the movie, the actor, Carrie Allwells, he's kind of soft looking, but the character in the book has to go through trials where he goes through three trials. One is of strength where he beats a giant. Then... Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> no more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want a peanut? Ah! And then he outwits a genius, then he outs Swordmaster. So he's got to be big and strong to beat a giant, and he's got to be fast to outdo a swordsman, and he's got to be smart, obviously, to beat a genius. So for me, he is a perfect kind of tight end. You got a big guy, quick on his feet, and super smart to learn all the playbooks and, and adjust to plays real quick. That's my guy. I love it. I, um, I've never read the book. I really enjoy the film, though, and I think Carrie Elwes is that kind of... And, and in fact, there's been a lot of swashbuckling from both of our teams here, the puffy shirt, the fencing sword, and I feel like Carrie Elwes plays that role very well. And, of course, he's Robin Hood in one of my all-time favorite films, Robin Hood Men in Tights as well. So, <laughs> absolute classic. It's a good one. My tight end... I've gone for the absolute specimen, the six foot five athlete, tough, not afraid to take contact over the middle, big enough to block in line, has had a bit of a rebrand over the years. And that's Conan the Sumerian by Robert E. Howard. Started off as a a pulp novel character. These days, uh, he's better known as Conan the Barbarian. You're picturing Arnold Schwarzenegger, the big athlete. He's just a, a weapon, as far as I'm concerned, for this team. Can run the seam, able to take pressure, able to deliver hits when he needs to, and intimidating as well, I think, to look at him. Would probably play without a shirt, just pads. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, I got him in there too. I got him in there. I, should I just talk about where I have him right yeah, now? Yeah, why not? So I have him as my left tackle. Interesting. Um, And I'll get into some of the details of the tackle, but Conan the Barbarian makes the cut. There's comics from him. There's the movie, as you mentioned, by Arnold the Governator. <laughs> That's a terrible Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I don't want to talk about it. I was elected to lead, not to read. <laughs> The governor. <laughs> Better? Bo- no. Bobcat Goldthwait? Oh, stop it. All right, I'm never doing an impression again. Taking my ball and going home. So um, Conan has a ton of comics and he has a ton of movies, but he started in short story for a magazine and was put in the books. So he definitely makes the cut. Yep, absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned he's your left tackle. Tell us about the tackles and offensive line play. So the tackles are in the middle of the field. 
they block defensive players who are trying to get through and tackle the offensive players. So like a guy coming to get the quarterback, the left and right tackle are there to stop. The left tackle is extremely important because he protects the blind side of the QB. So the QB, when he's going to throw, he has his back facing in a direction, and that's the left tackle. And so my left tackle, I pick Conan the Barbarian. He's got the strength, competitiveness, intelligence, agility, endurance, everything you want in a tackle. He's just the absolute beast of a man. So I have him there on the blind side protecting the QB. And then I can move right into the right tackle, which I have Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs in 1912. I'm not going to go through Tarzan. You know who he is. He's a boy raised in the jungle. He's fought gorillas and tribes of hunters. He's a big, strong, agile dude. What you might not know is there's 24 Tarzan books, mm. which I found shocking. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's my guy, Tarzan. Tarzan and Conan, very, very similar, I suppose. Those are my guys. They, uh, they very much are similar guys. I really like those. Now, it's, it's probably important to note that more so than the guards, your tackles need to be a little bit quicker potentially to to take on the the edge rushes um but that that's not necessarily not necessarily a rule so for me at left tackle as we talked about you need speed you need strength you need intelligence often the offensive line they score the highest on the wonderlick test you need to be smart to play offensive line and those real football purists will tell you oh that's where the real football happens in the trenches that's how you see whether a team's good or not for me at uh, at left tackle i wanted someone who as i say is intelligent someone who can communicate, someone who is super strong. Also went for a French author. I went for Babar the Elephant. Ooh, Babar the Elephant. Ooh, that's very interesting. So... Tell us about Babar the Elephant. Not a million miles from Tarzan, almost the reverse Tarzan. Babar, he's a, he's Nazrat, if you like, the reverse Tarzan. He's an orphan elephant who wanders into uh, the, the city, if you like, the town and is raised by an old lady called Old Lady. Uh, so he learns, obviously, to walk and, and talk and think like a human, but remains an elephant. He's from The Histoire de Babar by Jean de Brunhoff. One of my favorite characters as a child. I love the Babar TV show. He's essentially king of the elephants, uh, and he actually shows up in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, whoever it is, I think it might be Alan Quartermain, gets lost in the jungle, and Babar leads him to safety. So... Uh, yeah, Baba, one of my favorites. Very cool. At right tackle, I needed some size and again, some intelligent, a bit slower, but good luck getting around him. And from Lord of the Rings, I've got Treebeard. Cool. So, um, like that. yeah, that's uh, half the field taken care of by a giant tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get past a moving tree. Yeah. Literally hitting him. Not, not infallible, which is why he's on the right side instead of the left side. I think Babar's maybe got a bit more speed. I, I felt like Treebeard was um interesting addition. Now, inside the right right and left tackle, if you look at there's five players usually on the offensive line, tackles on the, the outside, then inside of the guards, the left guard and the right guard, tend to be more important for run blocking, am I right? Yep. Generally, you will have a big guard and a fast guard, uh, depending on the run scheme that you have. Uh, one of them will normally pull out and block on the other side to where they're they're lined up in the run game, but kind of stay where they are in the pass game as well. Super important for picking up double teams as well. Yep, absolutely. They line up in the middle of the field and block defenders and try to make lanes. Yep. Who you got? For my guards, I have another pair, and I want you to bear with me here. I have Gandalf and Aragorn. <laughs> you guessed right. From the Lord of the Rings series. J.R.R. Tolkien in there. 
1968. First off, these books are a childhood favorite of mine. I've read them all uh, way before the movies came out. Loved them. There's a little too much singing in them. It goes on for pages sometimes. But besides that, they're great. And you you know what? I'm not going to explain the Lord of the Rings to you. If you don't know the Lord of the Rings, climb out from under your rock. Join us on planet Earth. It's nice here. There's sunshine. We have chicken nuggets. It's great. Go read the books. Go watch the movies. You might come at me because guards are usually big, strong dudes for manhandle. Gandalf is old, but he's also a very powerful wizard. He can hold people, toss them aside with magic. And really, there's one simple reason that I want him in here, and that is you shall not pass. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Or you cannot pass the quote from the book. <laughs> Nobody's getting by him. Ironically, he will need to block so his quarterback can pass. Ooh, absolutely. Mm. Aragorn, uh, 16th chieftain of the Dudane and Ranger of the North, later becomes king. It's my nerd showing yet. This guy battled orcs single-handedly. And who better do you want to guard your offense than the guard outside the Shire? Yeah. When he was Strider, he guarded the Shire. So I think Gandalf and Aragorn already shown that they can work well together. I trust them protecting my cubit. Now, the first time we did this, we did it with Marvel characters. And your guards that time, from memory, were Wanda Maximoff and Dr. Stephen Strange. I mean, odd pairing mm-hmm. these days, but um, you do like a, a magician on your interior offensive line. Well, also, if you notice, and we'll get to the center, but I normally line up a big person, a magician, A big person, a magician, and a big person. So I have all my big guys in there still. But yeah, for those guards, I kind of like, I like that, uh, that magic element. One day on this podcast, we'll get to Blood Bowl. And I think you will love that alignment of big person, magician, big person, magician, big person. Nice. My guards on one side, I have from the Robin Hood mythos, Little John. Seven foot tall giant, fiercely loyal, capable of defending. Master of the long staff, and you tell me that having a fight with the long staff—that's guard hand position. That's all about where your hands are. Again, talked about. I love Robin Hood men in tights, and the scene where they are fighting on the bridge—the staff's getting shorter and shorter, and they're flicking each other on the back of the knuckles. He falls into the water. I one of my favourite scenes in any movie. We're men. We're men in tights. We roam around the forest looking for lights. Of course, we're talking about books, but yep, Little John, a legend. And on the other side, I talked about him earlier, is Porthos from The Three Musketeers. A handsome mountain of a man. He's going to have those quick feet from being a jeweler. He's definitely the brawniest of the musketeers. Maybe not the smartest, but again, loyal to a fault, courageous. Exactly the sort of person I would want on my interior offensive line. And uh, lined up next to uh, next to Babar there. Nice. Yeah, I wanted to squeeze Robin Hood in here somehow it's in my honorable mentions but i didn't even think of little john honestly Aaron, i think it's a good call we now move to the center uh the only player who touches the ball every single play whether it's a pass a run field goal a punt the center is the only one touches the ball every single play need to be highly intelligent they're often the quarterback of the offensive line they'll call out the coverages call out the players spot who needs to be blocking what so there's a lot going on they also need to be strong, need a good relationship with your quarterback. Have I missed anything? 
the name says it all. They're right in the center of that line there, the center player, and they will make adjustments on the fly too if they see the, the defense doing something. They change it up, help call plays. It's a very important position. It's uh, underrated in football. For I sure. If they really are the anchor of the offensive line. I think it's a, if you have a, a bad center, all sorts of stuff can happen. You end up with snaps over the quarterback's head, and, uh, and then you never really recover when it's the Super Bowl. I think we might have the same character here. And if we don't... You do. If we don't, I think we could end up in an interesting debate. So why don't you tell me who you've got? I have... I don't know if you have this guy, because this one was a deep pull for me. I have Beowulf. Interesting. I am Ripper, Terror, Slasher, Gouger. I am the teeth in the darkness, the talons in the night. Mine is strength and lust and power. I am Beowulf! <laughs> yeah. You want classic literature. There is nothing more classic than a poem from 1000 AD. If you don't know who Beowulf is, he's a warrior. He fought Grendel, which is this giant monster character. He's very jacked. He later fights a dragon and wins. He becomes the king of the Danes, so he's good at leading. He's good at play calling, adjustments. Just a beast of a fellow up front. Interesting. Who did you have? I'm going to introduce this with a quote. And often you hear it as, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I always prefer, knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is not the monster. Wisdom is knowing that he is. Uh, and if we're talking heroes and villains, the creature from Frankenstein is possibly not the hero, but certainly not the villain of the piece. He's made out to be the villain. Obviously, when you think of Frankenstein, you think of the square head, the bolts in the neck, the green skin, that kind of... Uh, Karloff the uncanny look of Frankenstein. But in the book, he is a man made up of parts of other men. I think he's seven foot plus tall. He's hugely strong. He's highly intelligent. He speaks multiple languages. I think he's got a couple of brains in him. So that idea of the kind of lurch from uh, the Adams family or whoever in the monsters is not really representative of who he is in the book. Um, I hated Frankenstein when I studied it at school. I hate books that are written in the epistolary form. And it's a discussion my significant other and I have all the time because she is a scholar of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and all of those are written in the epistolary form. However, for me, the creature is the perfect center. He's highly intelligent, strong, and uh, an absolute monster on the offensive line, if you will. I will. I didn't have him in there because anyone who's read or watched any accurate movie because there's a lot out of there frankenstein is really the villain he's the the scientist that puts him together and the the reason he's villainized is because there's a moral and ethical question into what he's doing it's very much a question of playing god so frankenstein by mary shelley will show up on my defense just due to his classic categorization and connective tissue with the person lining up on his left-hand side, Little John. Of course, Young, Franken uh, Young Frankenstein, also another Mel Brooks production, along with uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, and a great movie. Tremendous movie. Gene Wilder. Ooh, fantastic. I saw it as a, um, a musical as well. Not quite as good, but uh, yeah, one of the, the very funniest films of all time. And the um, Igor is absolutely... Oh, gosh. Absolutely one of the... 
the funniest characters ever put screen. In fact, my middle name is Frederick, and I always, in my own mind, pronounce it as Froderick due to <laughs> young Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It isn't. It's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? So anyway, there's there's a little peek behind the curtain if you want to impersonate my uh, identity. I love how his hump keeps changing sides <laughs> through the whole movie. It's like little things like that that are just make that movie so brilliant. Werewolf. Their wolf is <laughs> one of my favorites as is walk this way. And he sort of hobbles along. Anyway, so that's that's the end of our offense. Do you have any honorable mentions on offense before we move on to defense? I kind of lumped all my honorable mentions together, but it's easy for me to kind of break it out because I have good guys and bad guys here. Don Quixote, Sancho Panza. I thought that they would be a really good team. Honestly, I didn't want to have one without the yep. other, and I had other guys that I wanted more, but Don Quixote would have made a great player. Um, I mentioned earlier Robin Hood, which we already went through. Also, I had Lenny Smalls, Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Yep. Big dude, definitely not considered a villain, but if you've read Steinbeck, you know that that's a complicated situation there. How about you? I have Lenny on my list as well. I think it's hard to have Lenny without George. Yep. Uh, and George didn't really fit. I really liked Don Quixote. That was a name I thought about. He didn't quite get through to the, the nearly stage for me. Uh, a name I looked at for the offensive line was Falstaff from the Henry ad. Shakespeare's plays about King Henry. Shakespeare's best character, as far as I'm concerned. He is phenomenal. Big, fat, jolly man. Absolutely love him. No place for him. Looked at Lancelot and Galahad from the Arthurian legend but they're not especially interesting. You know, I might give away some that I'm not going to have on my defense. James Bond. I had him. I had uh, Spearchucker Jones from MASH, but I sort of was like, well, he's not really, a, not really a name brand. Neither was Joe Boyd slash Joe Hardy from The Year the Yankees Lost the Pennant, better known as Damn Yankees. Funnily enough, I had Beowulf on my, uh, my nearlies as well, so. I am Beowulf! Oh, right on. And then one more that I thought, well, he's a literary character, but he's not really fictional. And that was Santa Claus. Oh, there's a lot of books about it. That's for sure. I very nearly had him as my quarterback. I thought, you need a guy who can deliver, and he, he delivers. And what's funny is Madden does Christmas things, and they've had where you play as elves and Santa Claus as your quarterback. It's really hard challenges. They make him big and jacked and strong and huge. It's fun. There is a scene in um, The Santa Claus 2, which I, I really want to cover on the podcast, where uh, Tim Allen as Scott Calvin Santa Claus plays quarterback in a game of football with the elves. And I want to try and get my mate, uh, who's actually in the first Santa Claus, to come on and, and talk about that. So, Oh, very cool. Fingers crossed for a bit of a, a Christmas special, perhaps. Nice. Anyway, that's uh, enough. Let's move on to other villains. Give me your... I guess your defensive line. Yeah. Do you want to start with the defensive tackle? Yep. Those guys. Are you in sort of three, four, four, three? I have two defensive tackles. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have two, I think it's all good. I think we'll just kind of go with the flow mm -hmm. here. So defensive tackles on the defensive side are the guys in the middle. They stuff up lanes so RBs can't run through, force O-lines to come at them so the defense can get to the QB. 
defensive tackle, I think it's good to start with because I had Frankenstein's monster. I don't think we need to dip into that well again. He's a big, strong dude with incredible strength. My other one is Baron Vladimir Arkonin from Dune. Hmm. So Dune being my favorite sci-fi, I wanted to have the main antagonist from Dune. He's an incredibly large, obese guy. A lot of strength, but just super heavy too. He actually has an anti-gravity machine that elevates his weight. (laughs) And you might think that might not be the best thing, but I also think it'd be really good using that machine to help hold back that offensive line. He's also really crafty, so he can think on his feet. So I picked him in there so I could have a little bit of a pairing on my defense and my offense. Interesting. I like it. I like it. I'm going to read a quote from the uh, the text here to tell you who I've, I've got one defensive tackle. I've got a nose tackle, proper middle run stuffer. And tell me if you, uh, if you know who this is based on the quote. The thing cannot be described. There is no language for such abysms of shrieking and immemorial lunacy, such as eldritch contradictions of all matter, force, and cosmic order. A mountain walked or stumbled. If I say that my somewhat extravagant imagination yielded simultaneous pictures of an octopus, a dragon, and a human caricature, I shall not be unfaithful to the spirit of the thing. It's uh, Cthulhu. Bang on. That is Cthulhu. That is Cthulhu from The Call of Cthulhu by H.B. Lovecraft. How are you running at that? It's a massive tentacle monster. It's huge. It's a mind fuck of an animal or a, however you want to describe it. It is the ultimate run stuffing up the middle literary monster. That might have been the, f- oh no, that's the, actually the second name that I put to a position and I was like, I have nailed that straight away. Yeah, no one's getting by that thing, that creature. No, no possible way. It's a, it's a good one. And it was an honorable mention. I like it. That's why it was to front of mine, I suppose. With your two defensive tackles, I assume you have edge rushers rather than classic defensive ends. Yeah, so I I put them in as defensive ends just because I went through, essentially we had a chart. So I have two defensive ends here. So the defensive end is located at the end of the defensive line. They are pass rushers, meaning that their job is to get to the QB and sack him or disrupt him so he makes a poor throw. A good example of this is J.J. Watt. So I went with two. The first one is The Headless Horseman from Sleepy Hollow Mm. by Washington Irving in 1820. One of the great literary names as well, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane, absolutely. So The Headless Horseman, he's a demon figure believed to be a soldier who was decapitated by a cannonball. He rides around looking for his lost head. The benefit of this is there's no helmet-to-helmet calls here. Mm. He's got no head. So, I mean, you're going to get little fouls running on this guy. He can go for the quarterback with less of a concern and worry. So I thought he was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) The second defensive end is, you called it right from the top, Mr. Hyde. Yep. Strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You all pretty much know the story. Dr. Jekyll makes a serum to separate the evil from his body, but it turns him into Mr. Hyde, a murderous, powerful killer who just gets stronger and more powerful as it goes on. This is maybe one of the earliest stories of the twist of the villain is the superhero. Get a lot of that in more modern stuff. There was kind of like a rehashing of it in the 90s with Fight Club and split personality stuff. But this is really a a good, good twist in a book. I imagine him as a fast, strong psychopath charging at the QB. So 
Robert Louis Stevenson, who created um, the the curious case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, also wrote Treasure Island, one of my absolute favorite books, containing, again, one of my favorite literary characters, Lon John Silver. And I had a discussion once when I was in Edinburgh with a literary scholar saying, I love Treasure Island. I don't think it holds up because everyone knows Long John Silver, the pirate. In the book, it's not revealed that he is the pirate and the mutinous figure until very much the end of the book. Once you've built a relationship with him, he's built a relationship with Jack Hawkins. I can't imagine how the reader's minds must have been blown that this sort of avuncular figure is the villain. And he sort of does the same with Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde for me is, is a bit of a weaker story. It's sort of a, a rough allegory of the problems of alcohol, Henry Jekyll or Jekyll, I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Uh, the Scottish uh, pronunciation, I think, would be Jekyll. Scholars kind of go back and forth on it. As I say, it's a, the idea of alcohol. He takes a drink and becomes this monster. Now, we're used to seeing Hyde portrayed a bit like Frankenstein as this big hulking monster. If you see him in Van Helsing, he's kind of this, uh, the hulking figure. In The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's again like the Incredible Hulk. In the book, he's a tiny, little, ugly, evil man. Strong and athletic, no doubt, but he's not the kind of the monster, if you like, the, the physical presence. Certainly a, a violent, horrible man. But the implication is that as Hyde grows stronger, he grows bigger and, and Jekyll grows weaker. Uh, and we see at the end of the book is that Jekyll has become Hyde. Yep. You know, I, I think the implication is there that, yes, a, a, he becomes a fully grown man, but certainly starts off as like a a villainous mini-me, if you will. Definitely in the book, he grows stronger and more powerful. So I was kind of just looking at that end of the road. So that's it. That's why I picked him. Now, did you use Long John Silver as your defensive end? I didn't. You, you can't have a, you can't have a one-legged man uh, on a football field. So he was an honorable mention for me, and that's the reason I couldn't put him in. Wooden peg, and it would just kind of be hard to stand your ground. Yeah even as a kicker. So it's interesting you mentioned the helmet-to-helmet aspect of the Headless Horseman because and one of my defensive ends is a guy who will benefit from a helmet. And I don't want you to come at me with the veracity of the story. I'm not trying to make a statement here. I have Goliath from the Bible, described as four cubits in a span, six foot nine in the new money, if you like, the new old money, a violent man mountain who will benefit from wearing a helmet. Got hit in the temple by King David. And I, I think he's the exact sort of weapon you might want at defensive end. Bit of, in the model of like an Ed Tootall Jones, potentially. Opposite him, we get an interesting matchup. At center, you had Beowulf. At defensive end, I have Grendel. I am Beowulf! That's very cool. We did not plan that. That's pretty rad. <laughs> One of the main three adversaries of Beowulf, along with Grendel's mother. Uh, he's sort of an ogre, so there's a lot of layers to him, a bit like an onion. Menace King Hrothgar's people for 12 years. You know, he's just a fantastic beast. Um, and where to find him is at a defensive end on my team. Like how you snuck in that Shrek reference there, just moved on pretty quickly. <laughs> I caught it. There's the, the people out there listening, they caught it too. Good. <laughs> we move to our, our linebackers now. Yep. What's your setup here? The linebackers are directly behind the defensive layers. A lot of these names make, make a lot of sense once you break them down. There's typically three. There's a strong side, a weak side, and a middle. The left side is the strong side of the offense. That's where the tight end is. 
The left outside linebacker's goal is to break away from the blockers, tackle the RB, or guard the tight end from receiving passes. A good example of this is Von Miller. The right outside linebacker, which is the weak side, they're usually faster. They try to sack the QB or cover part of the field. Exceptional example of this is Lawrence Taylor. Could be the best to ever play. Then there's the middle linebacker. The middle linebackers are the captains of the defense. They call out defensive plays. They can do anything from rushing the QB, protecting the center from passes, guarding tight ends, tackling running backs. Famous middle linebackers are Ray Lewis, greatest to ever play the position, and a good friend of the Screen Pass podcast, Dick Butkus. <laughs> we mentioned pod. him in three or four podcasts, and now we mentioned him in another one. There's some seven <laughs> degrees of separation. And Dick Butkus is my opinion, easily top three of all time. Yep, I think uh, most people would agree with you there. Top three actor as well for his performance in Gus. Oof, you ain't kidding. <laughs> for my left outside linebacker, I did Fezzik, the giant, from The Princess Bride. Again, I'm just kind of uh, pairing some of these in there. I thought that that was kind of cool. I mentioned him earlier. He's big, strong, and on my team, he matches up with the Dread Pirate Roberts. We know they're a good matchup if my defense <laughs> were to play my offense. So I had him there. So for my right outside linebacker, I have the Minotaur, who you mentioned earlier. <laughs> I actually pulled mine from Dante's Inferno because I was a little question on if Odysseus would fly. But either way, it doesn't matter. He's a Minotaur. He's big, strong, fast, and intimidating. You don't want that guy coming at you. And then my middle outside linebacker, who is the captain of the defense here, is Dracula by Bram Stoker, 1897. You all know Dracula. I'm not going to dive too much into it, but he's smart, otherworldly fast, has super strength, massively intimidating, and I think he's the perfect villainous captain to my team of villains. I like it. I think they're three very good fits for those positions. I teased this when we were talking about the offense in terms of a double whammy from the same author. I've gone from Edgar Rice Burroughs at left outside linebacker John Carter of Mars, a former Confederate soldier transported to Mars or Barsoom, as they call it, on Mars because it's a bit of a Superman setup. He has enhanced speed and strength when he's on Mars due to um, the gravity of, of Earth compared to Mars. Doesn't help him much if we're playing this on Earth, but definitely a leader. He becomes a the warlord of Mars. Uh, mildly telepathic as well, which also helps. You know, if it's going to be a run, a pass, working off into coverage. Uh, the right-hand side, sea ball, get ball, it's got to be Tarzan. John Clayton II, as his character is uh, actually born. Rare athletic traits. Needs to be that sea ball, get ball position. I was going to tell that classic joke where, um, you know, Belichick goes to the jungle, brings Tarzan back puts him at tight end, and in the tight end meeting says, you run straight, you get ball, you score touchdown. And Tarzan says, I speak perfect English. And, and Belichick says, no, I was talking to Gronk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> glad, you, glad you did that. Had to get Tarzan in there. And again, I think the, the double whammy of Edgar Rice Burroughs works well. In the middle of the defense, I talked about Falstaff being one of Shakespeare's great creations. In Othello, 
We have Iago, one of Shakespeare's other fantastic creations, but it's not Iago here. It is the title character, Othello. Venice, if you aren't familiar with Othello, he's known as the Moor of Venice. He is a big, strapping black man. He's the general of Venice's army at the time where Venice is the world power. The finest military mind, strong as an ox, built like a brick shithouse. A defensive general, unlikely to take a backward step. I think he's the perfect organizer of that defense as well, so long as he's not got anyone in his ear saying that his um, lieutenant's banging his wife. Again, one that I studied at school, I really took a shine to Othello, and I think that's a, a nice fit for this. He was one of the other very early ones that I penciled in. I have to agree with you. I like that. Cool. So now we come to the secondary cornerbacks and our safeties. So what do our cornerbacks do? Cornerbacks are pretty simple. They cover the wide receivers. They are typically the fastest defensive players on the field. It's not always true, but typically that's that's their job. Yep. And who have you got? For my cornerbacks, my first one is Sher Khan. Ah. Or Sheer Khan from the Jungle Book by Kipling, 1894. I really like it. Sher Khan translates to Chief Tiger. He is a giant Bengal tiger. If Gus can play in the NFL, see our Gus podcast. <laughs> then he can too. <laughs> you had Babar on there, which made me feel a lot better by this pick. I don't know how he'll be at interceptions. That's a big job of, of cornerbacks. But I don't know if many people will be able to catch the ball with a giant freaking tiger after them. Uh, <laughs> let alone, I'm sure he can outrun anyone. So he is my first one. He was in my uh, honorable mentions. Oh, very good. Very good. I'm glad he made it to the list. My second one is Norman Bates from Psycho. Most people are familiar with Psycho from Hitchcock film, if only by name, but it was a book beforehand written in 1959. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock is one of my favorite directors. I believe he's one of your favorite directors. We've he absolutely is. Talked about him before. Unbelievable. Don't endorse his off-screen conduct, but certainly one of the great directors ever. For sure. And a spoiler alert to the 60-year-old book is Norman Bates is a psycho killer. Cause cause <laughs> My assumption is since he's able to kill, he's fit. There's certainly an intimidation factor there. Honestly, I really just wanted to put Norman Bates in my lineup. If you have a team of villains in classic literature, I wanted Norman Bates there. I absolutely love Psycho. It's interesting you talk about spoiler alerts. Hitchcock was so worried about the movie being spoiled that he basically bought up every copy of the book that he could find so people wouldn't read it. They would go and they would be scared uh, of the Psycho. It is a, a fantastic book. Questionable themes, I think, through the, the modern lens, but he is fantastic and... Um, Anthony Perkins is wonderful as well. Uh, a boy's best friend is his mother. <laughs> I've got a, um, a double whammy of sorts here as well, uh, in that there is very much the original and then the guy who was basically just a cheap knockoff. And in fact, uh, the two authors were friends and was very open about it. So one of my cornerbacks, Sherlock Holmes, first seen in a study in Scarlet created by... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, I think I would have to sleep outside if I didn't have either Holmes or Watson in this team. <laughs> Wiry outside corner. What Holmes lacks in speed makes up for his ability to read the play before it happens. He's going to know, is it going to be a pass or a run? Receive his legs up, therefore he's going to do this. Yeah, his shortcomings offensively made up by his, his fast-thinking brain. I think so long as you keep enough uh, cocaine and heroin, he'll be fine. On the other side, 
is one that you might be less familiar with, and that's Arthur Raffles from The Ides of March by E.W. Hornung. Raffles the Gentleman Thief, very much a... It's just a knockoff of Sherlock Holmes, whereas Holmes is the good guy. Raffles is a a posh, upper-class British guy who uses his toffishness as a cover for basically robbing other rich people. Loves the sport of it. His cover is he's a professional cricketer and basically uses that as cover to meet lots of people, get lots of places and see lots of things. I know you look at cricket and go, well, that's probably not a sport that really translates to football. Cricket and football far more similar than people realise. Maybe I'll delve into that one day. I think we should. Historically, he played rugby at school as well. Very similar, has an understanding of tackling. But where he really excels on the cricket field is he's an excellent fielder. The position that he would field in is a lot like a shortstop, so a lot of anticipation, quick feet, able to um, get hither and thither, if you will, and tall, agile, athletically built, climbs up into windows all the time. So we have Arthur Raffles and Sherlock Holmes, those kind of Victorian yings and yangs, if you will, on the uh, the outside of my defense. I don't know about you. I really struggled to find characters with speed. Yes. There, there was a lot of problems for me choosing to do villains as the defense as well, because you have two type of villains. You have the strong, big monster type, and then you have the intellect. And especially in older literature, a lot of the villains were just horrible people. Mm. You know, people in power, old people a lot of times, or just ones that weren't really conducive to a football field. So I did struggle with that. Norman Bates wouldn't be my go-to besides me just really enjoying the book and the movie. So I did want to squeeze him in there, but deep dives that I had to do. Yep. Uh, So round out the secondary here with your safeties. Cool. Just so you guys know, the safeties are the guys furthest back in the field. They're the last line of defense. There's the free safety and the strong safety. The free safety is the absolute line of defense. Pass play defense. He scans the field, seeing where the ball will go. He's considered the the playmaker and intercepting balls and stopping plays deep downfield. A good example of this is Ed Reed, the ball hawk, one of my personal favorite players. And then there's the strong safety. The strong safety is a linebacker with more speed. Yep. He lines up on the strong side, comes up to stop run plays. He has more coverage responsibilities. Typically, he's a very strong tackler. So Troy Palomalo is one of the best in that position. I'm sure you've heard that name. So for my free safety, I went with The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, 1897. Interesting. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with this, it's essentially a horror fiction novel. He's a scientist who invents a way to change his body's refractive index, making him invisible. Then he basically goes on kind of a reign of terror. It's pretty self-explanatory here. You can't see him. The QB will be constantly throwing to his coverage unknowingly. He'll be picking off the ball. He can even trip wide receivers and not call a foul because no one can see him. I have him in there as the last line of defense for the free safety. And for the strong safety, I did a nice little pairing. I went back to the well of Lord of the Rings and did Sauron. Hmm. Ruler of Mordor, the Dark Lord, the Necromancer, the incredibly powerful, strong antagonist of the Lord of the Rings. He also has the all-seeing eye, so you won't be able to get much by him. (laughs) And I think that he is perfect for that very last line of defense. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. 
great eye. He's ever watchful. Yeah, I considered him as my free safety, but um, my free safety, uh, we've talked about him already, Count Dracula. Can fly, incredible speed, strength, only good for night games, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't think of An that. An asset when he's there. I will say, however, and this is sort of no pun intended, but pun intended at the same time. Dracula fucking sucks. Like, it's a bad, long book. It's such a slog. It's full of, like, boring writing of all these guys just really got big 1800s woodies for Mina Harker. It's just, it's such a drag. Yeah, I will say he is, I think, more a better creation than the literary writing. Yep. You know, the creation is a concept. He's a, it's a brilliant idea. Mm. It might also be all the entertainment that we've gotten since then. We've gotten some really good vampire stuff in movies and other literature. Yeah, I know you love your Twilight films. Oh, I love it when my vampires sparkle in the sun. <laughs> the thing I think that's missing from Dracula is the disco ball factor. <laughs> and Twilight was really able to come in and put disco on an old idea. <laughs> I love it. My strong safety is, um, it's a bit of a matchup for the Minotaur in a sense, because in man coverage, notionally the strong safety is, is man to man with, with the running back. And that's Achilles from the Iliad, the greatest Greek warrior in the Iliad, close to immortal with superhuman strength. History of lower leg injuries, obviously, but I feel like has the speed to cover the, the field, hits pretty hard. And I, at the point where I landed on Achilles, I had had enough of trying to find someone to play safety. I was going to say he is a demigod there. A little, little bit of rule breaking. I'll allow it, <laughs> but he is a demigod. <laughs> I figured his weakness would allow him to sort of slip through. It's not, it wasn't like a Hercules or anything sure. along those lines. And of course, if you're paying attention, you'll have noticed that I'm a player short here. And that's because I've gone for a, a defensive flex. And again, it's the Invisible Man, Hawley Griffin. Nice. Very good. Where is he? You can't block him. You can't prepare for him if you can't see him. Where is he? Bang. You know, he's going to be dropping into cover. He's going to be rushing the passer. Where is he? As long as it's not snowing, you won't be able to see him. Very nice. Any other honorable mentions here before we have a look at maybe some special teams and some coaching, and then we can wrap this up? Yeah. So I guess I had, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a second, but I did have James Moriarty yep. on there as one of the villains. One of my favorite villains of all time. The problem is, is that from the literary perspective, he's an old guy. So you can't really be throwing, throwing out yeah. the old guy out on the field. I mm -hmm. also thought about Dorian Gray from uh, Vanity, the picture of Dorian Gray from Oscar Wilde. I thought it would be cool because he can take as many hits as you want and just his mm -hmm. picture is affected and he's good to go. We had a cutoff of 1972, missed the mark by two years, Carey. Yep. From Stephen King. I thought that I could put her back there, but she just missed the mark. That was just the beginning of Stephen King ramping up. I did try and find somewhere where I could put some female characters in there, but a bit like you were saying with the villains, there's there's too many times. There's there's plenty of strong female characters, but how do you um how do you slot them in? I very nearly had uh, Lady Chatterley at uh, wide receiver when I was looking for receivers. The only other one that I would have had on defense that I didn't mention was Jack Aubrey, Master and Commander that series by uh, Patrick O'Brien. I thought about him as middle linebacker, but he wasn't going to displace uh, Othello, but I thought shout out to my man, uh, Rusty Crow there. Have you got special teamers, your kicker and your punter? 
I do. I have a kicker, a punter, and then a coach. For my, I guess we'll start with the kicker. This might be a little bit of a grab, but I went with Robbie from... Robbie from Issa Vibe here on the 32-bit network. <laughs> Speaking of, there's no plug in this episode. Listen to Issa Vibe. Watch Issa Vibe on YouTube. 32-bit. Like and subscribe. <laughs> so as my kicker, I have Robbie from Isaac yep. Ivmov's iRobot collection. I figured that this would work because iRobot was later made into a movie with Mr. Keep my wife's name out of your freaking mouth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he doesn't cuss there. It's Will Smith. <laughs> so that movie was made loosely on this iRobot collection. It's an Android. We're looking at precision. We're looking at strength. We're looking at flawless accuracy. Listens well. Just good to have on the team. Although I will say through these books, really, they all question the mm. three laws of robotics. Really interesting. There's this particular robot. There's a contradiction in the rules and they end up going into a loop. The three laws of robotics are machines can't hurt humans. You have to listen to commands from humans unless if it violates law one. And then the law three is preserve your own life unless if it violates one of the first two laws. The writer of, of the iRobot collection put all the ethics and morality questions in there. It's a very deep dive sci-fi pool, but I recommend it because they're really yep. interesting. Speaking of which, did you hear recently of the Google engineer that was let go? No. He insisted that Google's AI, Lambda, was sentient. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name's Blake Lamone. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. And he said, basically, the system is like an eight-year-old child with the knowledge of physics. Wow. And he released a bunch of the chats that they had, and Google let him go, saying that he was an extremist and he violated their non-disclosure. But it's a really interesting story. Hmm. He released, like, logs of philosophy discussion he had with Lambda. It's, it's a wild story. It definitely brings me back to all this iRobot stuff and the ethics of androids and all that. If you subscribe to us on Google Podcasts and we don't show up in your feed, you'll know why. Come on, Lambda. We love you, baby. <laughs> we love you. Put us up there. <laughs> Who's your kicker? My kicker, I'm surprised you didn't get him in, is Robin Hood. For the same reason that Hawkeye was my kicker in the Marvel one we did. Deadly accurate. Exactly what you need. You got little John there. Easy peasy as far as I'm concerned. Peasy. Did you go with a punter? I did go with a punter. Now, I, we all know Australians make the best punters, and I really want to get an Australian literary figure in here. We have some great authors and a lot of boring characters. I, I sort of tossed up the man from Snowy River uh, at Wide Receiver. It didn't really kind of fit. So I went with this is the ultimate captain's pick, and I would be surprised if any of our listeners get this reference. I went with Don Henderson from Don's Party, a play that came out in 1971. There is a film version as well. A lot of boobs, a lot of 70s bush in the film. Don Henderson is the laid-back host of the eponymous party. As I say, Australians make the best punters, and uh, Don would be fantastic value off the field. Good locker room presence, I think, with his antics there. Yeah, it's um, an iconic Australian movie, but uh, boy, oh boy. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I went with Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. I like 1904. it. I thought about him. I thought about Hook as well. Yeah, Hook, I kind of struggled with the same thing of him having a hook as a hand. So much you can do in football if you have a hook as a hand without 
killing your opponents. But Peter Pan, young, and he might be too young for the league, but actually he's been living in Neverland for who knows how long. He could be 50. I don't know. I think he's I think he's old enough. Yep. Um, sprinkles a little fairy dust on that ball, kicks it, watches it fly. Bang a ring. Bang a ring. Who's your coach? My coach has been mentioned. He is Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is one of my favorite characters in literature. It sounds like you live with someone that has the same opinion. He's a genius. He's a master detective. He'll likely be able to pick apart plays from the other team, create masterful routes. I really, really like him as the coach here. Wonderful. Have you seen the BBC series Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, yeah, Bendy did come on my back, yep. It's one of my favorite series, too, of all times. I love his portrayal of it. I think Andrew Scott as Jim Moriarty is probably one of my favorite villains in cinema, period. He's brilliant. And, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange to a lot of people, but he will always be Sherlock to me. I really enjoyed the first uh, two seasons, and I think it got a bit of its own bum. I will say, though, if you are a fan of Sherlock Holmes, this is a free plug from a, a company that really needs it, Amazon. If you're not signed up to Audible, I think with a lot of other podcasts, worse but bigger podcasts, you can often get a uh, free book if you sign up using one of their codes to Audible. Just get the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. It is 60 plus hours of Stephen Fry reading all the, the Holmes stories. It is my most listened to audiobook by a mile. There are hundreds of them. Some of them like 30 minutes, some of them are hours and hours and hours. But if you're you're into it, listen to the originals. There's some good ones, some bad ones. He, he fights the KKK at one point. So Ooh. get in with that. So I have a head coach, uh, an offensive coordinator, and a defensive coordinator. I'll finish with the head coach. But my offensive coordinator is Odysseus from the Odyssey and the Iliad. A cunning offensive mind came up with one of the great offensive maneuvers of all time, that being the Trojan horse. And I think that's enough to get him a stint on the sidelines to use his cunning to unpick this defense. And my defensive coordinator is Merlin, a defensive wizard. Nice. Uh, obviously, we're familiar with him from the, I guess, the Arthurian legend in The Once and Future King, which does fit into our time frame here. He lives life in reverse, which is how he understands all sorts of modern references. That's the kind of version you get in Disney's Sword of the Stone, where he's very much not of his time. He knows what's going to happen and can plan for it. My head coach, I will be surprised if you are familiar with this character, and that's Benedict of Amber from the Chronicles of Amber by Roger Zelazny. High fantasy, sci-fi, one of these. It's your classic, like, everything's the thing of a noun, and your standard fantasy. Described as a man who seldom smiles, Benedict has spent millennia studying and mastering weapons and military strategy. He's basically Bill Belichick. Corwin of Amber, his younger brother, has this to say about him. Can you conceive of a millennium, a thousand years, several of them? Can you understand a man who for almost every day of a lifetime like that has spent some time dwelling with weapons, tactics, and strategy? All that there is of military science thunders in his head. He's often journeyed from shadow to shadow, witnessing variation after variation on the same battle, but with slightly altered circumstances in order to test his theories of warfare. He's commanded armies so vast that you could watch them march by a Watch them march by day after day and see no end in columns. If you imagine that scene at the end of Infinity War, where Doctor Strange is seeing all the different outcomes, that's how this guy lives every day of his life, trying to plan for that. So he's the perfect head coach, as far as I'm concerned, from a pretty shit series. Nice. 
Very good pick. If we total up, how many uh, how many do we have the same? We had the Minotaur. Yep. We had Conan. Yep. We had Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Frankenstein's monster slash the creature. Porthos. Yep. Tarzan. Dracula. Dracula. Sherlock Holmes, which gives us eight of the same. Hmm. All right. That's not bad. Great minds. I would have to agree, as uh, my other co-host Nada would say. Do you have anything else you want to add here before we um, before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so. I mean, that was, it was a trying list to get through, to be honest with you. A lot of the books that I read, you know, I read a lot of classical literature, but a lot of the books I read are more modern stuff. So I really had to reach deep for a few of these. And, but I think the list turned out well. I really like some of the people that we got. I liked hearing what you had, too. Yeah, it was a, a, a real fun exercise. I know it was a bit of a slog for both of us, but it, it was fun. You know, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. It's a bit of a longer one. Perhaps if we thought it through, we could have done it in two parts. But uh, too bad. Listen to it once. Or maybe listen to it in two parts and tell us if you enjoy it more. <laughs> um, with that in mind, why don't you tell the good people where they can get in touch with you? So if you want to reach out on social media or maybe see my list of books, you can go to Justin underscore B, Twitter. Or if you want to see some of my design work or you want some design and web work, you can go to my website, justin-b.com. Wonderful. Definitely recommend everyone check those out. Of course, you can get in touch with the show on Instagram. We are at ScreenPassPodcast. Drop us an email. Uh, we are ScreenYouLater at gmail.com. If you've got any recommendations, thoughts, we'll try and post maybe some of our teams and, and get some thoughts back there. Of course, you can follow me. I'm at Sheehan Solo on Twitter. Drop in, say g'day. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Yell at me for having Goliath in this this exercise but other than that you shall not screen pass <laughs> that is very Give to the poor, that's right!